0: Uh, we are in a series through the book of Malachi. We are uh, actually still going through it. we got a couple more weeks. We're going to be starting chapter 3 this morning. The book of Malachi exposes the Father's heart. So it's a word. It's a prophetic word. just a strong word of warning to the people of God. The date is 430 BC. This is after the people of God uh, were in exile. They come back to the promised land, and things aren't the way they were were before, and and they don't feel good about it, and God doesn't feel good about what the people are doing. There's a lot of shallow worship. They're going through the actions. There's very little heart, and so God, in his awesome way, full of grace and full of truth, is teaching them, y'all, this is why I ache for you to do things my way. So the first week, we looked at God's perfect Love. The first two verses of the book of Malachi go like this a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. So the very first word. From God through the book of Malachi is love. God has loved us. He loves us first. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. And then the second week, we looked at God's perfect sacrifice. That not only did He chose us, not only did He love us first, but He also sent His only Son to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because back then, what was happening is they were giving God their leftovers. They were giving God these diseased animals that that were not good. They weren't giving God everything. And, and so God said, look, I, I I gave you everything. So model, respond to what I've done for you by the way that you live your life. So the Father's perfect sacrifice. And then last week, we looked at God's promise, the Father's promise. We see that in Malachi, the people of God are very unfaithful. They're unfaithful to God and they're unfaithful in their marriages. And, and God is faithful despite our un faithfulness and it was an incredible message from Sean if you missed it you are going to want to listen to it for the content and for some laughs if you were here you know what I'm talking about uh, the father's promises so it was a great message and this morning we're going to look at the father's protection the last verse of chapter two and then we're going to go into the first six verses of chapter 3 seven verses this morning through the book of Malachi and we're going to look at how God protects us. We can see God as bossy, or we can see God as someone who just wants us to do all of these things, but at his heart, God wants the best for us. He wants to ultimately protect us, and so let's start in verse 17. We're going to learn five ways that God protects us, five ways that God protects us, starting in verse 17 of Malachi chapter 2, and then we'll go into chapter Three, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God? of justice. So this these, again, are strong words of warning. God is saying, hey, I'm, I'm growing tired of these two things. Number one, you are saying that things are good that are actually evil. You're, you're you're being complacent. You're not standing firm in the truth. You're being wishy-washy. And then the second thing is you're saying, where's the God of just as parents, if you have little ones or maybe your older ones are saying this, isn't it? don't you grow tired when you say, hey, can you please go clean your room? And then by the fourth time, you're like, can you please just go clean your room? Because they don't obey. It is tiresome when our kids don't obey us. And then what do they say? Well, what's one of their favorite reasons for why they don't want to obey? It's not fair. It's not fair that I have to clean my room because so-and-so didn't have to clean their room or, you know, this or that. And so what do we go and say? It was like, well, children in Africa didn't, don't even have rooms. And, and they don't even ask. Uh, they don't even have an option of asking for another, you know, they don't even have food. Anyway, all, all that stuff. So here, here's the point. God is saying this to us. He's saying, man, y'all are calling what's bad uh, or you're calling what's good bad. And, and you're saying that I'm not just it's saying that I'm not being the God of justice. And it's saying that, that it's we're it's wearing God out. And here's what actually protects us that God stands firm. This is the first thing that God is firm on truth, that what he says good is always good, and what he says evil is always evil. Doesn't matter what year it is, doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. And so we need to enter into the Lord's protection by trusting him and by agreeing with him and by saying, yeah, God, I may not understand all of that, but I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose to stand firm. We, we just sang about it. God, you are my firm foundation. my rock on which I stand. Here's what's happening in our culture right now. There's a huge wave of relativism. It's very popular now to say, well, truth is relative, whatever you want it to be. And and so we're falling into pluralism. Now we're looking at multiple sources of good and depends on your upbringing and depends on what makes you feel good. Man, it's a dangerous thing. We think that, oh, we're just protecting other people because we're not hurting their feelings. But what are we doing? We're saying that what God says is good is no longer good. We're not standing firm on the truth of what God says is good and bad. And and, and more importantly, this, this thing that it's wearing God out. Here's why it wears God out. Because when we call something that is bad, good, we're actually diluting sin. We're saying that sin is now all of a sudden okay we're justifying it. Well, you know this. Well, you know, it's just a little bit. And the more that we dilute sin, we actually dilute the power of the cross because Jesus took the whole weight of our sin on the cross. Every whip, every ounce of blood was shed for what? For us, for our sin to protect us, to cover us, to save us from the consequences of our sins. You see how beautiful God's protection is. It's meant for our own good. It's meant for our best, even when we may not understand. Parents, uh, Sean last week said that we need to meddle in our children's affairs. Couldn't agree more. Right now, uh, our culture is telling us that information is everything. The more you know, the more you'll be free. Actually, we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing that information without wisdom brings chaos in our minds and in our lives. And and we're seeing the mental health crisis in our young people skyrocket because there's too much information. There's too many outlets of things and messages that are bombarding all of us, especially our young people who are just forming their identity and forming their world view. And so parents, we need to be that filter for our children a conversation with my eldest yesterday, and this is just an example. She was upset as to why we weren't going to do all the Halloween things. It's a perfect time to practice this if you're a parent. And, and the thing is, is, is that I told her, we're not going to be like everybody else. We're not going to follow what everybody else is. Our family is going to stand firm on who Jesus is, and our family is going to live a little different. Now, doesn't mean that we're going to go to the extreme and create a little compound and, and sing kumbaya and ignore the outside world. No, we need to be in the world. We're going to do it with the Holy Spirit's wisdom. And so I encourage you, don't do what I do. Think about what you will, how you will filter things for your kids. Uh, talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your community group, with other people that have gone before you. Uh, we need, older generation, your wisdom as parents through these Times. Tell us what worked. Tell us what you wish you would have done differently. Those things are so important for us to hear and to know. And most importantly, let's pray about these things. Ask God, Lord, I want to stand firm. I want to, I want to, you know, I don't want to weary you. I want to call what is good, good, and what is evil, evil. Lord, I need your wisdom. He will grant it. There's a study that came out. Uh, Two groups of kids were playing outside. One group uh, did not have a fence, and the other group did have a fence. So uh, the study was to see who would play further away from the house. And interestingly enough, it was the group with the fence, the group of kids with the fence that ended up venturing out further away to play. Why? Because they felt safe. They felt protected by that fence. Versus the kids who didn't have the fence. They stayed closer to home. We need that protection of God's goodness. And we need to call what is evil, evil. Galatians 2, 20, 21 says it this way. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in Not my own understanding, not in the world, but in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me every drop of blood. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Now, parents, if you're saying, man, but the sixth time that I tell my child to put their shoes on and they don't have their socks on, what do I do? Man, it is hard. Here's, here's, here's the verse to encourage us, and then here's the truth of God's protection. Here's the verse. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's not give up doing good. Amen? And here's the other good news. God never gives up on us. He doesn't get weary. He gets tired. He's like, man, y'all are doing it again. He gets tired because he sees us struggling He's not struggling. He's steadfast. He remains the same. He's coming after us. So parents, we may want to give up, but praise God that he does not give up on us, which leads us to the next point in verse 1 of chapter 3. Malachi writes, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God didn't stay distant. God drew near. He came close. He didn't say, man, y'all are really messing it up. So I'm going to stay up over here and I'm going to. No, he became close flesh and made his dwelling place among us. That's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the most hopeful verse in the entire book. In fact, the ESV and the NASB include the word behold at the beginning. And anytime we read the word behold in the Bible, it means, hey, watch this. Uh, look at this. It's, it's the word heneh in Hebrew. And this is the first time that we see this word in this book. And what he's saying is there is one that's going to prepare the way for the Lord And then ultimately, the Lord himself will come. The Lord you are seeking will come. So he's talking first about John the Baptist. He's saying that John the Baptist, who will come with the spirit of Elijah, will come to prepare the way for the Lord. How did he do it? Well, he came baptizing uh, by water by saying, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then he says this in John 129. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw uh, Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world he drew near and he's saying hey I'm going to prepare a way for you I think the most underrated position on the football team by far is the offensive lineman anybody else with me Did you know that they're the smartest on the field most times? They have the most plays to understand. When when it was the eye formation, you know, when it was just like pummeling, just, just going in through the run, it wasn't the same. But now with these spread offenses, I'm not an offensive lineman, but I know that they have a lot to think about. And what are they doing? They're preparing the way. For that running back. They're preparing that way for, to, to guard the court, to protect the quarterback so that he can do his job and get the ball further down the field. I wonder who was the offensive lineman in your life that prepared the way for Jesus? Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a neighbor, maybe somebody who loved you, who prayed for you, who God used to prepare the way for you. Maybe you can't think of someone, but who can you be the offensive lineman for? You can say, hey, I can just tell you about Jesus. Let me share my story with you of how God made a way for me. That's how we prepare the way for others. And then uh, it says this in uh, that first verse, then suddenly, Lord, you are seeking. So God himself will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty, He's saying that the Messiah is Coming. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. 400 years later, Matthew, Jesus enters the scene. God's one and only Son, the anointed one, comes in. And so uh, Jesus, in, in this very famous uh, story narrative, he clears the temple. He goes to the temple. Jesus, who is the temple himself, the very presence of God, uh, clears the temple because he sees that it's not, uh, they're not fulfilling the temple's purpose. Instead of sacrifice uh, and animal uh, reverence, they are actually profiting off of what is going on in the temple. And so, Jesus in John 2. Uh, the Jews are asking him, all right, you clear the temple. Now, what sign uh, can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Basically, you're here in God's house and you're making a mess. So who are you? And Jesus answered him, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus protected his own temple by doing what? By destroying it first, by saying, no, 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 this isn't what it's all about. I'm drawing near. I'm coming to you and watch. I am going to die for you. And I'm gonna rebuild this temple, and then the temple is actually gonna be in us through the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna rebuild something in us, which leads us to this next. Very fun and very challenging three verses. Verse two of Malachi three, but who can endure the day of his coming? She says, you were seeking him. You wanted him to come. You wanted him to come, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner in a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah in Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by as in former years so God protects us by refining us and by purifying us not fun <laughs> maybe right now this is the season of refining and purifying for you in an intense way and you can agree with me that this is not fun But it is good, and it is necessary. And God loves us so much that he puts us through the fire. And he's saying, out of this season, hard season, you're going to be more. You're going going to shine brighter. Here's why God purifies us. It says uh, that we are like, uh, he's going to purify us like gold and like silver. So the refiner's fire, this is the process of gold that, that happened back then, and the launderer's soap is actually bleach. So people would uh, go through the launderer's soap to bleach their clothes. If they, were, had, they, if they had stains, they would return back to their color. God refines us because He sees our value. He sees that we are valuable to him. We're his uh, precious and treasured possession. We can't miss this. He only refines that which he finds valuable. And he wants to protect us and, and he wants to remove the impurity. See, back then, the way the process of refining was they would first mine the gold from the dirt. Isn't that true of our life? God finds us in the dirt, and he, and he takes us, and then you wash it with, with water. And isn't that true of us? We're washed and cleansed because of what Jesus did for us. And then, this is the fun part, he sticks us in the fire, and and, and that's not fun. And what that does is it removes the dross. It removes all the meaningless material that is around. It removes the uh, the, the impurities from the gold. And that's not it. He then puts us in a vessel, in a confined vessel, and then we go back into the fire for five days. <laughs> then after that, they crack the vessel, and what they get is this precious gold. What we now see in the movies, the bar, carrots, you know, the gold. Cool thing is that there is still is no industrial value for gold. Did you know that? It's like the most meaningless metal. We can't really do much with it except for jewelry, and yet nations still have a way of counting their assets with gold. Why? Because it's valuable. It still has value. And what God's saying is, you are valuable to me. Therefore, I will love you, and I will stick you in the fire so that I can, so that you can uh, be totally refined. Here's what Hebrews twelve puts it: My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child later on in verse 10 he says for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening it's painful But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And then in verse 14, I believe this is a word for us in our times today. Work at living in peace with everyone and at work at living a holy or purified life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. That last part's important because sometimes we want to stake other people in the fire. Sometimes we want to say, you're really unholy. Let me, let me take you through the fire. You know, let, let me be the wrath. And that's not the way, because we have our own stuff to work out. And when we work out our own stuff and leave it peace with everyone and work at living a holy life, then we will shine and be the light of the world for others to see, wow, that person changed. Wow, that person used to get angry all the time, man. That person used to cheat. That person used to cuss. That person used to treat their kids and their uh, husbands or their wives in that way. And now look at them. Something changed. What changed? They've been purified by God. And then they will see God. Because those of us that have hope of Jesus in us, we, we have a promise of everlasting life. But we live in a lost world. And we need to be that light. That they see. What is he refining in you? There go my notes. What is he um, removing? Thank you, Alan. What is he shaving off? It may be your words, it may be complaining, it may be the way that you honor God with your money, it may be anger, it may be bitterness. I love what the Chronicles of Narnia say. When Lucy was confronted by the idea of Aslan the lion, who was a picture of God, she asks Mr. Beaver, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And here's the thing. He may, it may not be fun and it may not be pleasing, but it's good for us definitely much better for us than the consequences of our sin, which leads to eternal condemnation. Jesus came to rescue us from that, to purify and to renew us. Last, uh, two more points. Verse 5, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And many see this verse and think there's God the judge. I knew it. He's just out there to get all of these you know people and, and 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 no one can escape god's judgment well the when we dig into the verse it's really interesting that all of these people are takers when we uh, commit adultery. When, when we have other gods before the one true God, we're taking worship that belongs to God, and we're giving it to somebody else in adultery. We're taking somebody into, into the objection of our uh, pleasurous desires, perjurers, lying. We're taking the truth from other people against who defraud labors of their wages. We're taking what other people deserved and have worked for, and we're taking from them, especially those that are under the poor, and then we oppress the widows. We are taking from the most vulnerable people group and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me. Uh, The last four, it's a quartet of the vulnerable over and over and over through the Old Testament and into the New, talks about the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner, For people that are often vulnerable in our societies. And he says, hey, I'm going to protect them by examining you. I'm going to put you to the test. Because if you're taking, how can you give? How can you bless? How can you protect if you are only taking from others? God's protection actually comes through us, his people. And so he's calling them out in this time. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to test you and I'm going to judge and I'm going to make sure that you are protecting them by giving and not taking. We need accountability. Uh, Socrates said, What? The unexamined life is not worth living. I hated seeing that quote before an exam in college. But, but now in, in life, accountability is really good. We need people. Ask us the hard questions in our community groups and as we live life. Hey, how are you doing, man? How's your heart condition? What is God refining in you? A lot of the times we go back to that first question. God, it's just not fair. Uh, I don't love you. I'm not going to serve you because you're just not fair. Why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is very complicated, and I I don't know all, all, all of the answer, but I do know this. When bad things happen, good people get to show up and protect. When there's a vulnerability in a community or in a family, we get to be the arms and feet of Jesus and surround them with care. It's the Father's heart of protection that comes in when people need him the most. Here's the last point of God's protection. Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. It speaks to God's unchanging grace. Key word there, destroyed. Is he going to destroy him? No, he says, no, because I do not change. Because my love for you is never ending, you will not be destroyed. Another translation is consumed. What does that mean? It means that the gold will go in the fire. But the gold cannot be totally destroyed or consumed. It will only be purified. It will only come out looking better. God's grace is that way. It's unchanging, yet it changes. Uh, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you're going through a hard time, I encourage you to read that whole chapter because I just read the turning point verse, that entire chapter lamentations. There's a lot of lamenting going on. There's a lot of bad stuff. And yet they focus on God's unchanging grace. You won't be consumed. God will see you through worship team. You can come back up. Maybe for you, this message is like, "Whoa, I I, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here. I encourage you uh, in the same way that I encouraged my daughter yesterday after we finished uh, our conversation about Halloween and what things we were going to do and what things we weren't going to do. Um, we have Psalm 91, 2 on the wall of our house, and it says this, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. When we trust in God, we're entering this firm Strong, secure, unpenetrable fortress. But when we lean on our own understanding, when we try to figure out our truth, when we start going our own way, we end up building houses out of straws. Most of us. Some of us are really smart and can build a house out of wood or maybe brick, but it will not withstand the storms of life. Only He and He alone can bring about security and the protection that we need. And so maybe for you this morning is is the day that you enter into that safe place. doesn't mean that it's not going to be, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy or pain free, but ultimately it's going to be good. It's God's best for you. And we do that by saying yes to Jesus, by accepting what he's already done for us. We don't have to do anything. We just need to fall under his covering, under his protection because of what he did on the cross. So if you're able to stand, let's pray and close and worship. Jesus, we thank you that you are our fortress, our safe place, our secure foundation, that when we're in you, storms may come, surge may rise. but we stand firm on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone in the house that heard something or is sensing you drawing near to them, Father, I pray that they would take the bold step of denying themselves, taking up their cross, and following you, creator, the redeemer, restorer of all things. And if that's you, God's just looking at your heart posture. His word says that we declare with our mouth that he is Lord And if we believe in our heart that he's been raised from the dead, then that's what brings us salvation. It's by faith. So you can just say something like this, Jesus, I surrender. And I believe that you are the only son of God. You came to live a perfect life so that you can be the perfect sacrifice that my sin deserves. I trust you with my life. I'm going to follow you. Today, on in Jesus' name. And if you said that prayer, I encourage you to tell someone that you came with, come forward, share that with me. Don't walk this journey alone. And so, Lord, we ask as we go out of this place that we would know that your heart has our best interest, that you want to protect us, you want to purify us, you want to refine us, renew us to become more like you.